Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. We're here yet again to preview this week's Premier League action. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by George Ellick and Sam Tight, and we're going to get into it straight away. I'm not even going to ask them how they are because we've chatted too long before we've come on the podcast and recorded. And we're going to start with West Ham against Newcastle this week. Great night. For Newcastle last night in the in the Champions League, absolutely sensational scenes. A couple of years ago, Newcastle fans couldn't have dreamed of nights like that. And to be fair, they were having to watch Steve Bruce football as well, so they won't believe how far they've come. But we're going to actually start Sam with West Ham. So Declan Rice, big player, departs. Sometimes it can take teams a long time to grasp that, to try and get used to that kind of talisman not being there. We saw it with the man behind you. Well, it's not actually the man behind you. The shirt behind you when Jack Grealish left left, left <laughs> Aston Villa. Villa took a while to adapt to Declan Rice not being there. You've had Leeds with Calvin Phillips as, as well. Obviously, they went down the first season. He wasn't there. But West Ham seem to have almost turned into a better unit without Declan Rice. It's quite a bizarre one, isn't it? I know they've spent money, but fair play to them because they've not really missed him so far. Yeah, but spending money doesn't ever really guarantee uh, a nice early springboard, does it? Uh, and the, the examples that you list off there, I actually find myself thinking about uh, Tottenham and Gareth Bale as well with the, with the seven one. to nine players that they bought with all of that money. And yeah, only two stuck and... You know, by the time that had really started kicking into gear, Andre Villas-Boas had been fired, Roberto Soldado had been laughed out of town. Like, it, it's hard. This is hard. So, first of all, I'm surprised that West Ham have been able to step up immediately, even with the influx of talent by the transfer market, because this stuff is not easy to do. But even still, like, there's basically players from last season that are just going into overdrive. Uh, and, and while I, I do have a sneaky feeling... And I'd like to get George's thoughts on this because he's the king of under and over performance um, <laughs> on whether or not this he's is saying, he's saying under and over uh, underperforms on this podcast every week. Sam, is that, no, is that I think he likes to look at. I think he likes to look at some scenarios and, and judge on over and underperformance. Mm. Uh, he's very good at this sort of thing. Um, it's a compliment, not a criticism. Oh, thank you. Um, but Bowen is overperforming the XG by one point five. Last year it was under by three. Thomas Suchek, like, wow. Uh, and just just wow, um, Alphonse Ariola, best shot-stopping goalkeeper in the league right now, having obviously not played that much in the last couple of years. And Ward-Prowse, I mean, maybe this is just a simple case of the Southampton malaise being shook off. And this is what happens in a relegation season. And he's burst out of his cocoon like a butterfly, new again. <laughs> but I did not really see Ward-Prowse hitting these levels and I've been, I covered Southampton for seven years. I watched every single game he played for seven years. And I've not seen him play like this since the first two months of Ralph Hasenhutl, when Ralph basically told him to go on the pitch and start kicking some people because he's too nice. And wow, hasn't that put him in good stead for his time at West Ham? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just on that, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to know your thoughts because to me, Southampton, even though they're obviously always a, a pressing side under Hasenhutl, and for the majority of, of Ward Prowse's um, time at the club in the Premier League, they, they looked they were one of the few teams I would say outside you know those challenging for European spots who would look to retain possession in advanced areas, basically, and not particularly play a counter attacking style. Given that Ward Prowse is, as we know, one of the best uh, set piece takers, both in terms of, of corner delivery, set piece delivery from wide, and also shooting, is it that surprising that actually? He looks brilliant now playing in a team who sit incredibly deep, where quite often he is just the person basically playing open play, 
big long balls, big switches, big balls over the top in order to maximise his long passing potential, something we didn't necessarily see as much at Southampton. And that's where, you know, West Ham is so devastating on the counter because they've got a player in Ward-Prowse who can break up play, get his head up and then deliver quality balls over the top. So what I would say to that is, first of all, the corner deliveries are really winding Southampton fans up. They're, they're furious about this because Ward-Prowse got a lot of success from set pieces at Southampton, obviously. Hell of a set-piece threat, one of the best in the world. But his corners came under consistent criticism because he used to whip them in into the near post and they were they were too they they dipped too violently, if you understand what I mean. And it, it, <laughs> too violent to dip. It was very hard to defend. Goalkeepers could only punch it, and it often led to another corner, which built pressure. But no one ever really managed to head them in. And at West Ham, I've seen at least two back post corner assists. And Southampton fans are going, Where was this? <laughs> Where were these back post deliveries? West Ham have got a, a team of big boys, aren't they? They're a lot they of skill pluses at uh, West Ham. I imagine more so than at Southampton. Yeah, Moyes' adept. Never... Moyes' teams have always been good at that kind of thing, haven't they? So Paul Prowse is ideal. Amazing, though, isn't it? That David Moyes, tactical genius, has said to James, "Kick it to the back post." He goes, "Okay, mate," and bang, off we go. Amazing, absolutely amazing. So, George, while obviously the skill set, underlying skill set, is there, there's just been a couple of tweaks there that have that have led to just some glorious things that for one reason or another, and no one can really figure out why, we weren't seeing it over the last couple of years. I mean, George, if you like overperformance and underperformance, we've got the West Ham players and their improvement so far in 23-24 compared to their 22-23 seasons, according to the Who Scored al- algorithm. And the list of players that have that have improved, Ariola, Ward-Prowse, Jared Bowen, Emerson, Suchek, Antonio, Sufal, Paqueta, and Zuma, like you know, they're the top ten, and they've all improved, which is mm. some going. You know, there's got to be an element here, as Sam said, of just kind of reverting back to the mean. Like it's 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 important to remember that before last season, West Ham was a side who, um, you know, advanced to a, a European uh, to the late stage of European competition, who got there on merit due to their performance in the league. You know, David Moyes done incredibly well. Like the the reality probably lies somewhere between the performances early this season and what we saw last season, where. You know, Jared Bowen wasn't as bad as he was in front of goal last season consistently, and and that has to be like that has to turn around at some point. Um, the issue probably for West Ham is that you know, I think these days sometimes we can get too caught up in um, the idea that overperforming your XG means there's always going to be reversion to the mean. There are players who consistently outperform their XG who are just incredibly good at shooting. And if that was the case, then you wouldn't have to be so concerned. But as Sam said, when you've got players last season who are under, underperforming, that is more of an issue. And when you also think that this season, you know, looking at um, adopters XG um, numbers, you know, West Ham have scored 10 goals in open play from their 7.37 expected. So, I mean, it's not a massive overperformance, but, uh, you know, in time given they haven't got players who, in my mind, consistently do overperform apart from probably Ward-Prowse, given you know you're going to get um, a collection of goals from free kicks, um, which naturally are going to have a low XG number, um, you know, it's probably going to come come around and bite them. But, you know, there's right now, especially given the pressure that Moyes was under, like I think had they not won the Conference League last season, or maybe not won, I mean, if they hadn't got to the final, I think David Moyes probably would have been let go. Like it felt like that trophy saved his job to an extent, um, given how poor the league performances were. And it wasn't long ago, the three of us were sitting here and and Sam was basically writing David Moyes' obituary at, at West Ham. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an amazing start. It's, it's an amazing start to the season for them, but it's still early October. So, and, you know, this is a classic case of 
expectations now after the good start to the season have definitely risen far beyond what they were at the beginning of the campaign. And if they don't maintain their standards, the finger is going to be pointed at Moyes again for, for not being able to do so. I mean, actually, on that topic, Sam, I completely took your point of what you were saying about David Moyes and the brand of football and perhaps some of the players that were arriving at, at West Ham. And the football wasn't brilliant last season, but at the end of the day, West Ham have won a trophy for the first time in forever. On the face of it, they've had two top seven finishes under Moyes and they've, and they've won a trophy. David Moyes has given West Ham fans stuff that they haven't had for, for years. Overall, he has done a very good job. Well, I mean, whatever situation he took them over in, um, it's it's certainly not the situation now, is it? So there's the first plus point. And then the other one is that football is about winning trophies and he's won a trophy. So can't take that away from either. It's it been really, really good. But Consistent European football as well. Yes, d- despite the slog on the team and despite really only ever having Mikel Antonio up front, he, he finds a way. He finds a way. Uh, it's it's very, very impressive. I think my, my thought process that I shouldn't have put such an early time scale on it, to be fair. Um, but my thought process at the beginning of the season is that at a certain point, a quality of a quality of player outgrows a style of coach. And I do, I do still believe that we will head towards that point with West Ham in the next 12 months. Maybe I have to relax the time scale just a little bit. But not, not 12 weeks now. We've gone to, we've gone maybe to not 12 weeks, 12 maybe like 12 months. It, it, it probably happens. And that's not necessarily a slight on Moyes. It's just a case of, well, if you can't, if you can't use another striker other than Mikel Antonio, then we need to look elsewhere. If you can't use Mohamed Kudus to his full potential, then we need to consider other options. It like, it probably comes to that point at some point. But for now, he's done a stand-up job of staving that off for sure. Yeah, I mean, we talked about James Ward-Prowse. He's actually third in the 23-24 who scored Premier League form rankings. That goes off the last six appearances. He's the only West Ham player in there. Top of those rankings is Kieran Trippier, who is the who scored player of the month for September. We've got to be careful, though, haven't we, George? He's had a good month. <laughs> the last two weeks, we've mentioned <laughs> players and they have gone on to have absolute stinker. So it was Romero a couple of weeks ago in the North London derby. Who, who was it we cursed last week? We, we absolutely killed Coach someone Jones. last week. We Coach killed Jones, Jones last Red week, card. sent off Liverpool, obviously, lose their unbeaten run. So although we want to talk about Kieran Trippier now, it could be that he has a bad game at the weekend. I'm literally on the who, on whoscored.com right now, and in the corner of my screen, there is a video uh, playing of a Kieran Trippier interview as well. So it's all kind of set up for him to to fail. Um, he, yeah, and, and he comes into this off the back of what must be, you know, for a guy who's scored a, a goal in a in a um, in a World Cup semi final, for a guy who has played in the Champions League for you know a couple of teams in the past. Last night, so Wednesday night. Uh, Newcastle's win over PSG, where he starred and got an assist, must be up there in his in his career highlights. I'd have thought. Oh, so there's only one way to go from here. Um, and I, you know, I'm just looking through the team <laughs> yesterday and, see, and seeing Dan Byrne and Elliot Anderson uh, all playing in a team against K- Kylian Mbappe, beating them 4-1. Just an unbelievable result. But he's, I mean, Jordan he is Longstaff as well. Don't forget Sean L- Longstaff scoring the goal too. Yeah, um, it is a. He's so important to Newcastle in terms of of every single facet of his play, like his creativity from set pieces again and from wide areas. But he's also the player that basically, and it's quite rare you see this given the role that he plays, like everything goes through him. He's almost the player who kind of sets the tempo and sets the, um, retains possession and is the player that is almost always the out ball. Um, He's kind of Bruno and and Trippier are kind of, they almost play as that midfield pivot, but just kind of skewed out on the right-hand side, which is, which is rare. Um, and then defensively, 
he's just you know he's he's still so savvy and so good there was a game i can't remember if it was a sheffield united game or which game it was the other day where he where late on in the game he pulled off this unbelievable kind of slide tackle right in the corner where he trapped the ball almost under his hip and swiveled and took it out of the corner on his own like he's I think even though he's had the career that he's had, there are parts of his play that, that remain underrated. And he, he's got to go down as one of the you know, savviest, cleverest signings we've seen yeah, really, um, really a, a team. I mean, especially given, you know, his profile and his age at the time, you know, you, you don't see teams who have aspirations for European football generally making signings of that of that nature. But Newcastle kind of fully aware that they had to elevate certain parts of their squad if they were going to challenge at the top end, went after a guy who was, who was proven over the best part of a decade to have that quality. So, yeah, I mean... They were trying to stay up at that point, weren't they? That was the only thing on their think The January was like, we're bottom. Who can we get? Can we convince Kieran Trippier to join? And he was like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And they got him. And and look at... And it was the first signing of the new era, I believe. Um, What a statement. Do you you remember when, when, when the takeover first happened and the first player, obviously, who was linked to Newcastle was Kylian Mbappe? I was I was sat watching the game last night thinking... What feels more unlikely at this stage, Kylian Mbappe taking the money and going to Newcastle or Kylian Mbappe going to Newcastle with PSG, playing 90 minutes, maybe being 4-1 with goals from Dan Byrne and, and Longstaff. Like, <laughs> I almost think the latter a bit, a bit, feels a bit less down likely. By Jamal Lachelle's as well. Yeah, as well. <laughs> exactly. Like, it almost, I, I, I kind of think Mbappe saying, yeah, I'll take that big contract. Thank you. It feels more likely than him being sent back to Paris with his tail between his legs. Yeah, Newcastle had a tough start to the season, lost a few games, but they've now kept five clean sheets in six in all competitions, Sam. So they've conceded one goal, actually, in, in six now. They've kind of got not gone back to basics because I don't think that's what they've done at all, but they seem to have picked up that defensive solidarity again. Although for this one, I think Botman will be a big miss. Yes, Botman is a big miss. Um, you get You get the impression, don't you, sometimes in football that you can really measure a player when they're not there. And when Botman's not there, just things aren't aren't quite right and and i say that knowing that obviously he's missed a bit of time recently and they they do look like they're back to their best but you do get that impression that botman is a bit is a bit of a leader for them and the drop off from from him to the shells it doesn't i don't care what happened against psg like he's clearly it like there's there has to be some kind of impact or some kind of effect there um but newcastle just they they're back to looking genuinely really horrible to play against and this might sound strange, but they do kind of feel like a bit of an anachronism at the moment because the way they press and they harry and they steam forward off the ball, I thought football was trying to move away from that to a point. Like <laughs> we've had our we've had our heavy metal press days, we've had our, our Jurgen Klopp Pep Guardiola battles. Everybody is exhausted. Everybody has played 150 games each year for the last three years. And people are starting to move away from that. And Eddie Howe has gone, no, let's double down, let's go for it. The work rate is obscene. The pressing, the intent is obscene. And of course it helps the defence. Of course it helps shield them. When Anthony Gordon is forcing Marquinhos into critical errors, another sentence we never thought we'd say, George. Um, Absolutely amazing. Of course that helps. So the whole team is humming right now. And it starts at the front, but it benefits the back. What about up top then, George Isak? Where does he sit in terms of of Premier League strikers? what's, What's his level? Well, I think he's exceptional. You know, I remember when he signed um, down on, on the podcast we used to do together. Um, it kind of felt at the time like there was, I, I guess, maybe because of his background within in England, within kind of general English football fans, people didn't necessarily realise quite what a coup signing Isak was. You know, he was 
a player who was in his, you know, in his late teens was one of the, the hottest prospects or, or perceived to be one of the kind of the biggest prospects uh, when he was at Dortmund. It didn't quite work out for him there, but went to Sociedad where especially late on in his, in his career there, he showed an unbelievable range of skills. And, and given, you know, they signed him in his early 20s, a player who's already, you know, amassed over 40 caps for Sweden. Like this was Newcastle basically dining at the top table for the first time when it came to transfers. This was a player who I'm pretty sure any club in Europe, really, given the right deal, would have taken his sack and, and looked to develop him. Um, he started fast. He then had that injury last season. Callum Wilson came into the side and, and played very well. So it was kind of a bit of a stop-start season for him. But in terms of what he offers, like he's he's an unbelievable player. Like His feet, for, for given his size, are, is are just incredible. He can play through the middle. He's got that goal scorer's instinct. He can play off the left as well, which is handy to have that versatility. You know, and, and I think given the way that, that Newcastle like to play, he, he fits into that very, very well. Um, and, you know, it now feels like Eddie Howe, with the addition of Harvey Barnes, with the addition of Anthony Gordon, they're starting to build a team around um, the two goal scorers who will rotate in Wilson and Isak. So, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a, a brilliant player and someone who I think his stock is going to continue to rise. And you know, when you look at Newcastle and you consider that there are players, you, know, you look at the team last night, you know, even though, you know, the likes of Jamal Lascelles is obviously in at the moment because of the because of the injuries. But like it's pretty obvious to see where Newcastle are going to look to elevate players in, in, in certain roles. But it wouldn't surprise me if in two, three years' time Isak is still Newcastle's main number one striker and, and one of the best strikers in the league. Yeah, they could have actually talking about the defence again, moved Dan Byrne into into centre. Well, that's three left backs. On the on the bench, no, mm. but they they decided to put the fight in in Lascelles, and he he absolutely rewarded them. Let's get some score predictions for West Ham against Newcastle. Then, George, I'll come to you first. What's your prediction? I kind of thought that maybe the the Wednesday night would take a fair bit out of Newcastle, but I'm going to go the other way, and they're going to be buoyed by it. Two nil away win. Two nil away win. I've gone for two one to West Ham. I'll, West Ham at home. I would back them to beat. A, a lot of teams. Sam, did you get your predictions in in the end? To, to, in the official, the official manner that we were supposed to do. I'm unsure. But what, what, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of complaining about this from Dan, who was well clear at the top of the league, eyebrows raised across the group. But uh, yeah, Wednesday morning, <laughs> Wednesday morning, I got them in. So I got this one in before Newcastle beat okay, PSG. Good. The integrity, uh, I went for, yeah. I went for two two. Two, two, so three very different scores there. Let's just have a quick look at the Premier League predictions table that we're, we're doing at the moment. It wasn't a great week for anyone last week. I don't think anyone got a score spot on, but there were some ridiculous results in the Premier League last week. I got nine points. Sam, you and Jonathan, well, it was Jonathan last week, got eight. George at the rear with seven, which leaves me now on 64 points. Uh, Sam and Jonathan on 47. And George, a disappointing 34 points for you what is it that's so early going wrong so, so early i mean this is I, I feel like now october this is like almost like three games into the season where we now show the leaderboard for the first time it's the embryonic league table yeah it's not yeah. how you start it's how you finish yeah, yeah. that's very that, that's very true marathon not sprint yeah let's do the let's do the rest of our predictions <laughs> for, for, for this week then before we get into arsenal against manchester city because i'm fed up of having to flick between screens on everything <laughs> that i've got going on at the moment we'll start with luton v spurs and i've gone for two nil away win two nil to tottenham sam uh one nil to spurs three one spurs Ooh, manchester united manchester united v brentford brentford not actually in good form at the moment either i've gone for one nil to brentford sam yeah, I was no, sorry, I haven't. I've gone one 0 to Manchester United. That's a complete lie. One 0 <laughs> to Manchester United, Sam. 
something something integrity of the game. Yeah, I was tempted by a Brentford win here because Man United do feel like such a dumpster fire. But you're right, Brentford aren't in great form either. So I ended up going for 2-2 again. 1-0. Fulham against Sheffield United. I've gone for 2-1 away win to Sheffield United, heavily influenced by being at their training ground earlier on in the week. Sam? <laughs> 1-0 to Fulham. 1-0 to Fulham, George. Just to, just, just to dig a bit into that, as, were you watching training and you were like, oh, these ads are good? I'm gonna have <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was actually watching watching photo shoots because they were having like their, basically their like leftovers of the ones that hadn't done done media. Day. So I was watching them have their photograph taken. A whole new meaning to these guys are good. Yeah, impre- impressive having, having their photo taken. They really were. What, what was your prediction, George? I don't even know now. My prediction is 1-0. Uh, Burnley v Chelsea. I've gone for 2-1 to Chelsea. Sam? So have I. Same, George. Two 0 Two nil to Chelsea. To Chelsea. Then I've got Everton nil, Bournemouth nil. Sam. One all. One nil Everton. I mean, if you pull off a nil nil prediction, that's that, that's when you know things are going well. That's when you know you're having a, having a good time with the predictions league. Uh, Crystal Palace v Nottingham Forest. I've gone for two two. Sam. One nil to Palace. One nil to Palace. Lots of injuries for Crystal Palace, I believe, in their in their front positions. George. Two one. To Palace. 2-1 to Palace. Then we've done our West Ham v Newcastle predictions. Uh, Wolves, Aston Villa. I've reluctantly gone for for 1-1, Sam. Me too. Look where we are mentally. Not got a good good record at Molyneux at all. No no good there ever. 2-0 Villa. 2-0 Villa. Go on on the George Ellick. And then Brighton v Liverpool. I've gone for 2-1 to Liverpool. 3-1 to Liverpool. 2-2. 2-2 two, two. and then we'll of course come on to our Arsenal v Manchester City predictions at the end of this segment really struggled with people's names there I've said Jonathan's name once in the podcast and now I just want to call everyone Jonathan so that wasn't I didn't find that easy to deal with at all so Arsenal against Manchester City George what I said he said Jonathan again what happened to Manchester City last week is it as simple as Rodri isn't there and they're not as good yes and no isn't it I mean clearly Rodri's a massive miss and clearly Kevin De Bruyne is also a huge miss. I, I would almost say, given I'm, I'm, I'm by no means saying that, that Erling Haaland isn't their, their their best player, but almost in terms of their most important players, the people, the players that make them tick, you've got one who is the key creative force and the other who is just the player that enables um, Manchester City to control games and also has an incredible knack of coming up when they when they really need him to in terms of goal involvement. Um not to have those two players playing clearly has an impact. You also then consider that you've got quite a few players who are kind of settling in uh, in a settling in period, like the midfield two of Kovacic and Nunez, both players who've joined Manchester City recently. Doku starts on the left-hand side. Even Alvarez, who's you know obviously playing incredibly well, like he's having to switch between playing as a as a ten and playing in Harlan's role when Harlan comes out. There are just a lot of moving parts right now. And it, do you remember like? It's easy to forget with City because they're, they're consistently so dominant. There was a period kind of at the turn of the year last year where City were not playing particularly well. And it was kind of the same where they were they were rotating a lot. There were injuries. They like the draw play- at Forest at that point. Yeah, and, and there forest. weren't... And, and there weren't many, you know, that was you, you couldn't really say what team they were going to put out every week due to injuries and due to the classic Pep Roulette. And, and we're kind of at that stage now. But having said that, this is just one of those games. Like, if, if Wolves are going to beat Manchester City, it's probably going to go something like this. You know, City had 23 shots, nine were on target. They didn't create loads of good chances. You know, I don't think it's important to say that. Like, Gary O'Neill set up his team to play the lowest of blocks and, and it kind of worked. Um, but... You know, Wolves had three shots. 
and they scored two goals. Like <laughs> it was a game plan pulled off to to perfection. And I think O'Neill deserves credit for realizing that the way that we are going to get any points out of this game is to prevent City from creating anything, um, or to try and create City from uh, creating anything too good and then just having to take our chances whenever we can kind of break out and, and on the day they they did that so I definitely think it's not time to panic for City um, you know we saw them kind of have a, a similar test against Leipzig in the week albeit against probably high quality players where Leipzig again just dropped off massively um, especially at, at 0-0 and at one all, and City found a way through um, so this game I would say has a very different uh, proposition um, although I would say Arsenal have been quite weird this season in terms of the way that they've approached big games, where against both United, like I think Arteta, um, Arteta's Arsenal, for me, the main component of their players is, is their aggression out of possession, where they um, they press aggressively. But against both Spurs and against United, they've really sat off. Like they've basically the 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 way they've set up out of possession is basically let the back line of both teams have the ball and then engage when, when it kind of gets uh, progressed up into the, up into the midfield. If they do that against City, like I, I can't really work out how the game's going to look because we know that City are just so comfortable retaining the ball basically high as we saw against Wolves and we saw against Leipzig. And I think, I think Arsenal might kind of struggle to get out. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they go with that again. Because um, if they do, then I guess the challenge is quite similar. But normally you would anticipate that, that City coming up against Arteta's Arsenal will pose a very, very different challenge uh, than, a, than a, up against a side with a low block. So, um, yeah, it will be fascinating to see if Arteta approaches this game in the same way that he has done against you know the perceived better sides in the Premier League already this campaign. Interestingly on Rodri, Man City have lost as many games in the 10 without Rodri as they have in the 60 with him. So that's four losses with both of those scenarios taking place. So he is a huge miss when he doesn't play. But just a word for Calvin Phillips, Sam. If he isn't getting a game when Rodri is out, is he ever going to get a game for, for Manchester City? What on earth is going on with, with him and Pep? Like, there's just I don't think there's been a falling out or anything. Obviously, there was the, the white comments last season. But he just does not seem to fancy him. At all. He's only started two Premier League matches since signing in last last summer. One of those was against Brentford last season when they'd already won the league. The other one was a week before against a really poor Chelsea side. So there just seems to be no trust with him whatsoever. They spent a reasonable sum of money on him. It was it was in the region of 45, wasn't it? I think in the end. It's not it's not cheap. Yeah. It's not throwaway money. It's not Eight million on a Brazilian prospect that you can loan to Girona for two seasons and then get a work permit for. It's not. It's it's not. That's not the type of deal this was. This is England's Player of the Year in 2021, a star at the Euros. He'd gone down. He'd declined Premier League moves in the past. Obviously, I remember him declining Aston Villa to stay with Leeds and and give it one more go. Risen to the top with Bielsa and then nothing. I mean, obviously injuries play a part, of course. I do remember one particularly clever person saying that when he joined City, that playing for Guardiola in midfield is basically the opposite of playing for Bielsa, particularly off the ball. And that it would take him quite a long time to unlearn all of the things that he's learned in order to assimilate into Guardiola's play. So how long do you say is quite a long time? 18 months, two years, three years? Because we're still in that period. He apparently is not... on it at the very least. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just not not able to play for them, uh, whether it's tactical or whether it's injury. We, we don't really understand what's going on, but it doesn't seem like it's something that can that can continue, does it, for much longer. 
And actually, the odds are is that if he can stay fit, the old if, someone might get a really nice deal out of this. 25 million for Calvin Phillips. And if they can get him anywhere close to that 2021 form, they've got one of the best midfielders in the league again. Someone else, but, I mean, uh, not City. It, it just feels to me like physically a combination of, of playing for four seasons under Marcelo Bielsa, which, you know, naturally is going to take its toll given what he demands of his players, both in matches, but also in the way that he, um, you know, the way that they train. And then the injuries, like when I watch him now, it's mainly playing for England because he barely ever plays for City. <laughs> I say, when have you watched him play? <laughs> yeah, I know. But he, but he doesn't. And, and, but, and for, for England, it kind of works because again, given the opposition that we generally play in qualifiers, like not much is really asked from physically. He sits in front of the defence and his, and his, his role is basically to recycle possession, but he doesn't really look like the same physical specimen now. Like he doesn't look as athletic. It doesn't really feel to me like he he's the same player. And I think I saw some quotes the other day from Guardiola where he kind of said like, I wish I could have worked with Calvin a few years ago, basically. Oh, um, he said that about Tim Ream. Do you remember? What, <laughs> he, said Guardiola Ream was, he said if Tim Ream was 25, he'd be playing for me, not 35. <laughs> Wow, I was like, oh, those mate, you've you got to stop that. saying this about people. Yeah, and also because Calvin isn't 35. So like, you know, with Reem, <laughs> at least Reem is like, that's nice. But Calvin, he's like, hold on, mate, I'm not <laughs> to be my prime here. Uh, I wonder if he'd be better off playing for like a, you know, a West Ham type where again, you know, you can just drop in, you can be the hatchet man and then and then send some nice crossfield balls over. Like it, 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 it doesn't feel to me like he is a Manchester City player. And when you consider that the player he's up against now is Rodri, they so are... say he's up, up against him. I honestly thought when they signed him, and he's only played 361 minutes in the Premier League since signing, so Nunes must be not far off that already for, for yeah. Manchester City in terms of minutes. I thought there'd be certain games where they play Phillips and Rodri together and kind of play De Bruyne as a, as a number 10. I'm talking about, talking about last season. But that just never really happened. And then when Rodri's out, they're completely different types of players, so that they're, they're not like for like. I just don't think they ever need that protection because, given given when you when you consider, you know, as we all know now, they play with, with four players who play the majority of their football at centre back before going to City. True, and you've got and you've got Rodri sitting in front. You, you just you just do not need two players against anyone really. Like that's why when you know even when when Gundogan was playing on the left hand side of Rodri, he was almost given like a kind of free role on, on that left as, as like a, a a goal scorer rather than a, a possession player. De Bruyne has no real defensive um, responsibility when he plays. Like even Bernardo, who's got that in him, will still basically play in that in that channel down the right-hand side. Like there's, there's just no need for it. Like I, I don't think whether it's Ake, Vardiol, you know, Akanji, Stones, like these players just do not need a second player along, as well as Rodri in order to protect them because they're, they're they can look after themselves. Let's talk about Arsenal a little bit then in the curious case of Bukayo Saka. It's felt like in the last seven days, Sam, it's almost like Arteta's wanted him to get injured and be ruled out of this game. It's been a bizarre circum- set of circumstances, sorry. He plays Saka every possible game, doesn't he? I mean, 87th with... consecutive Premier League appearance that was last week against Bournemouth. Yeah, Half I mean... You know, I, I'm one of those people that you find on Twitter, Dan, who sits there and loudly complains slash um, worries about the amount of football that young players are playing for fear of burnout. And Saka is firmly in that category of like, I'm so worried about him. Like that he has played so much football, same as Pedri, same as Bellingham. They're all playing too much football at too young an age. And Saka's now done what he's probably... 
well, he must be in his fifth professional season and he plays yeah. constantly, constantly because he's really good to be clear. There's a reason he plays all the time. He's literally Arsenal's best player in my opinion. And that's that, that's saying something as well, considering the company he keeps with with Martin Odegaard and, and, and Declan Rice and, and William Saliba and all, and all those guys. There's a reason they turn to him. He's a prime difference maker and he's possibly their best player. So fine, I get it. But this has been this has been coming for a while. Like I'm surprised it didn't happen last season. I'm not shocked it's now happened this time when they have to take midweeks a little bit more seriously and they just play him and play him and play him. It's a real shame for this fixture that Rodri and Saka aren't there. Real mm. shame. The Arsenal did a lot of business in the summer. They've built, in terms of numbers, they've, I'd say they've probably got the biggest squad in terms of quality in the Premier League. There's a lot of players in that, in that Arsenal squad. It gives them a lot of depth. But is Saka really the, the only one that they don't have a have a backup for? I suppose you could throw Saliba in there as, as well, but... He feels like he, when he's not there, he's the hardest one for them to replace within their own squad. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I, I guess you could almost argue that they need the striker that doesn't exist as well. You know, and Gabriel Jesus' return is 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 big news for them. But we are still seeing that um, even though he will score you some goals, you know, his his part of his role is dropping in um, because he's so good at doing so and, and in a fluid forward line. Um, you still wonder if, if maybe they need that out-and-out striker. But yeah, I mean, in Saka, they don't really have the players to or a player to come in who's like-for-like. Like. And I, I think part of the reason for that is just because he's so good, really. And um, he'll be a massive loss for them if he is out for this one and if he is out for the for the foreseeable. He started the season very well. He's just kind of everything, isn't he, in terms of, of what he offers. Um, very tidy, a massive goal threat, creative, um, energetic, like apart from um, James Madison making him look a bit silly in the North London derby, it's, it's pretty rare that you see him make any kind of mistake. So yeah, I mean, they, they, they have some players who will come in there. I wonder if we might see Kai Havertz play a more advanced role at some point fairly soon. Um, yeah, so he's played from the right for Man City. For a yeah, so, it's, so, so, you, so you could play Jesus on the right and then have Havertz as the kind of false nine, um, which might suit against Manchester City as well, where having a kind of player playing off the off the shoulder might be a bit of a waste of one. Um, and we know that Havertz has scored quite a good goal playing that role, uh, quite a big goal playing that role against Manchester City uh, not yeah. too long ago. So he played it in the Community Shield as well uh, and actually helped Arsenal skip the press quite mm. effectively mm. and then hold on to the ball and just gain that territory. That's sort of what you said earlier, Dan, about them being get sort of trapped in a little bit as we saw George being trapped in, that they can, they do actually have a player there that can help alleviate that in Kai Havertz if that's what they want to do. And Jesus, I mean, I thought he was pretty good for 60 minutes off the left in the North London derby. I thought he was, I thought he, was he gave Porro a few real scares. Um, so they've got the options there for sure. This is what you get when you get a big squad, as she said. Big squad for the quality. We also know that Mikel Arteta um, is quite stubborn. And I feel like Kai Havertz playing on the left-hand side of the three is going to be something that we see pushed a lot because um, I think he likes to prove people wrong. And, and maybe he will. But like the fact, you know, Havertz being given the penalty just to kind of alleviate some pressure was a, uh, I mean, fair enough and, un- and understandable to do it. I always worry with those that there's a risk that if they miss it and things are going to be compounded even further. But you know, he's off the mark now. And I think there's a desperation at Arsenal for him to, to be a success. I mean, I can only assume a Spurs fan wrote this script this week, hoping that we did put the curse on Arsenal like we have put the curse on certain individuals in the last couple of weeks. But the question here is, is this the first time you'd make Arsenal favourites in this game for years? 
do either of you make Arsenal favourites for this game? I know they're at home, but do you? No. no. And, and they just factually are not favourites. Um, so <laughs> with the bookmakers, Manchester City are favourites. I think I would agree with that. And especially with the... Um, you know, with, with the Saka situation, it's hard, I think, to make a case for Arsenal being the likely winners. Let's, um, let's rattle through the combined 11. This is a quite tasty 11, actually, the Arsenal and Manchester City combined 11. We've got Raya in goal. Back four of Ben White, Akanji, Diaz and Gvardiol. Erdegaard and Declan Rice as the two sitting. I'm not sure you can play Erdegaard there, but who scored have. And then Alvarez as a 10. Foden, Haaland and Doku as the front three. That's based on Premier League, well, based on yeah, league ratings so far this season. Predictions for this one then. George, I'll come to you first. Arsenal against Manchester City prediction. 3-1 City. 3-1 City. Sam? I went for 2-1 to City. And I have done exactly the same as you. I've gone for 2-1 to Manchester City as well. We're going to finish this week's podcast with the team in focus section like we have done for the last three or four weeks. And this week, and this is where we really do hope we put the curses on someone, it's Wolves. And Pedro Neto is the first player we're going to talk about. We could do with putting the curses on him, couldn't we, Sam? Five goal (laughs) contributions. Wolves' highest rated player, if you look throughout their team. Where would Wolves be without him? Um, Potentially bottom. So... Yeah, he's been that important. Are you having the conversation about Palinha and like the MVP of it? Who is the most important player to a particular yeah. team? Um, Palinha is a great shout. I think Pedro Neto also falls into this category um, because look, well, look, look at the impact he has had directly on goals. He's got five goals or assists, and we all know it's actually six because that own goal from Ruben Diaz was basically him picking the ball up in his own half, sprinting past two players and squaring the ball when it goes in. He, d- he doesn't get an assist for that from Opta, um, but I've given him one. and I, I think He's got the Sam assist. I mean, does it, if anyone's ever deserved an assist for anything in their life, does Pedro Neto not deserve an assist for what he did for that goal? What sensation. It was, incredi- it was incredible. So that's six, six goal involvements, and they've only scored eight. So it's quite the percentage. It's quite critical then, isn't it? If we we tack it by that metric. (laughs) Yes. And it's amazing to see him back in full flow. I did write a piece for the Who Squad website about Neto uh, last week, for anyone that's interested. He's basically ranking right at the top of the Premier League for, yes, goal involvements, but also carried into the penalty box, progressive dribbling, progressive carrying, um, take-ons, attacking take-ons. Like anywhere you look, any kind of metric that you can... You can try to measure a dribbler by and someone that can gain you ground on the counter. Neto is top three. He's top three along with all the, the regulars like, you know, Kulisewski who carries the ball for fun and Marcus Rashford who takes the ball into the penalty area constantly, all that stuff. Uh, and Raheem Sterling as well. He's up there with those guys. So statistically, it bears out. And then you just watch him and you're just like, you're so good. Like that two-footed, powerful dribbling style is so rare and it's so good to watch. He had such a rough year last year with a with an injury, ankle injury, missed five months, and then you know took took some time to get back. He used the under twenty one Euros as a fitness board, a fitness springboard, and look at him now. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, hit the ground running, hasn't it, for Wolves at the at the start of this season? And you know where would they be without him? Was the question probably bottom of the league? I, I suspect another key player who's emerged in recent weeks, although I think he's always been pretty useful, actually, in, in front of goal and scoring important goals for Wolves, is Wang Hee Chan. 
George. I mean, his name always makes me laugh because when we did this podcast a few years ago, we used to do like a team news section and Jonathan obviously is one of the top journals <laughs> out there and every week he'd get leads or wars and he'd ha- and he'd use the phrase cock out or wang out so I always <laughs> that that always makes me laugh when when I think of that and I used to start giggling whenever he said it and I just used to think this guy isn't going to be hanging around doing this podcast for much longer <laughs> doing it with me but he but, but he's still here but yeah he does always seem to pop up with goals wang yeah it feels like he's had um kind of three pretty similar seasons at, at Wolves where he scores a glut of goals in a small period of time and then kind of goes missing and, and falls out of the side. Like looking at his goal on the, over on the who scored site, like his um, goal return in 21-22 was, was five in 1,822 minutes. Uh, last season it was three in 1,131 minutes. And this season it's four so far in 331. Like that suggests to me that this is probably, I don't think he's necessarily a player that you can rely on to score you more goals. And, and you know, if you look at when the, the period of time that he scored his goals and often comes, a bit like Mikel Antonio, like it comes in, in short bursts before reverting back to, to where he was before. But he, he certainly started the season very well. Um, you know, it's Gary O'Neill seems to be one of those managers where he just flies in the face of the spreadsheets, basically. Like it was the same at Bournemouth last season where he was consistently picking up points in games where you look at the, the the way the game fell and you think we're wondering how he did that. And looking at this season, you know, we've already spoken about the the win over City, where City obviously dominated in most metrics. Even the point at Luton, <clears throat> Luton created an XG of 2.24 in that game uh, to, to Wolves' it's one, uh, 0.76. Uh, but they got a point. Uh, the win at Goodison, Everton created next year 1.9. Um, you know, Wolves 1.4, and they won that game 1-0. It, it's just finding, you know, it's been clinical in front of goal, which which you know, Huang has been uh, so far this season. Um, and relying on a keeper who, who we know is 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 very good at, at stopping shots, which is quite important in football too. So it's been a, a great start for him. You know, I think certainly given um, the calibre of manager that he took over from, um, I know that he was obviously, you know, O'Neill definitely deserved another crack given how well he did keeping Bournemouth up last season. But, you know, home win against City and, and picking up points that have got them away from that drop zone at the moment is a, is a very good start. Yeah, apologies if you were put put off during that spiel, George. My stomach made a noise like a clicker out of the out of the last. Wow. Episode, it was very very strange. I don't know whether you heard it, but it was a, one of the most bizarre noises that's ever ever come out of me. So so sorry for that. I guess the worrying thing for me and you, Sam, and probably not many people watching the podcast will care whether this is worrying for me and you, is that Wolves seem to have played better and done well against the better teams in the Premier League this season. And Villa probably fall into that category this weekend. Dan, I was at a wedding on Sunday and I I saw my uncle John, who is a Wolves season ticket holder. And he said to me that this Wolves front three, this is not a rhyme, um, of Cunha, Huang Hee-chan and Pedro Neto is reminiscent. It's a quote from my uncle John, so you have to take it very seriously. Reminiscent of prime Nuno of Jimenez, Adama Traore and Diogo Jota in terms of you can Wolves can now sit in and absorb with Craig Dawson man-marking your best player and, and cancelling him out of the game and then just fly forward with three and they're absolutely ridiculous, aren't they? Those three. Uh, and just like the previous three were. And they just have this template now which is, I think, very similar to what we've talked about with Brentford before where they can absorb and sit into quite a deep block and then they can just fly with a couple of players that are really fast and Burmo and Visser and, and off playing off Tony. And Wolves, Wolves have a similar setup now. And with Neto fit 
Uh, and I know that Cunha doesn't score enough goals, but the work rate and the ball carrying and dribbling and again, carrying you from defensive phase into attacking phase. It's a pretty scary concept if you're a team that wants to control territory and possession. If you want to rack up the numbers and you want to sit in the opponent's half, when you have to defend against that the other way, if it goes wrong, if you misplace a pass, it's pretty terrifying. And that, I think, is why they end up doing better against the more ball-dominant teams. I think they're just set up for it. Well, I hope Uncle John has a worse time at Molyneux than I do on Sunday. That, that's for absolute. Mm. So, He's cancelled his we'll... golf. He's cancelled his golf to go and watch because uh, obviously the game got rescheduled for the Europa, uh, Europa Conference yeah. League. So he's already fuming. And um, if Wolves don't get a result, he'll be even worse. I mean, they usually do. Yeah. In fairness, against Villa, I think Villa only won there in the COVID season in, in recent years when there was no fans in. They, the Wolves fans do always create a big atmosphere in that game as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens on Sunday and the way you've just spoken about their front three, Villa obviously play this 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 high line. There could be a few goals, actually, in that game, which we don't say often about Wolves games. That does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast by whoscored.com. Please, please subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on on YouTube and wherever you're digesting this podcast, just subscribe, like it, do all that good stuff that really helps. We're trying to push the podcast on this season. I'm really enjoying doing it. I'm hoping these two with me are enjoying it as well. And hopefully the audience is enjoying it because that is the main thing. Maybe start putting your predictions in the in the comments. If you start your predictions league season now, you'll probably in a couple of weeks be ahead of George. So it's worth having a crack at some <laughs> predictions if you, if you want to go and do that. But yeah, we'll be back. I oh, know we won't be back next week because it's, it's an international break, but we'll be back the week after to preview the Premier League action as normal. Tell all your friends and family about the podcast and have a great weekend.